This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayak. What's up, listeners? It's Rashan here. Welcome to a brand new episode of Inspiring Design. I have here with me a very special guest and an absolute legend, but I will reveal who that is in a few short minutes. But for the time being, I want to take a few seconds and talk about the topic for today, skills currency. This topic will resonate heavily with the majority of the listeners being educators, designers, and students. It aligns and embeds itself heavily within the 21st century skill sets and an essentials concept to understand all for the educators of today, molding the future leaders of tomorrow. If you are a student in secondary or tertiary, skills currency is your most valuable asset for your career development and success. But I will leave that up for the time being and let me introduce you the speaker for today. Today I have here with me the Chief Entrepreneur of Queensland, Leanne Kemp. Leanne's a serial entrepreneur, she's the founder and CEO of Everledger. She's also one of the leads of the World Economic Forum. Leanne, welcome to Inspiring Design and thank you for giving up your valuable time. Oh, my pleasure. It's so great to be here. Hello, listeners. I'm glad you're tuned in. Awesome. Can we start off with a little bit of background and your journey? Well, my journey probably starts no different than anyone else. I'm a Brisbane girl and went to school at Somerville House and dutifully followed the suggestion of my father on a career pathway towards accounting. There you go. Uh, there you go, an accountant, calculator, pocket protectors, the yep. whole thing. I was ready for the world. <laughs> um, as I stand here today, or actually sit here today because we're sitting down, I'm the founder and CEO of a company that's fast-moving called Everledger. We built a platform of provenance using the very best of new and emerging technologies such as blockchain, artificial intelligence, machines, vision, to be able to trace diamonds from the source of the mine to the retail network, yep. uh, to be able to answer the question, where does it come from? A very simple question that's probably being asked of many different objects, whether it be the meat on our plates that we're eating, mm. uh, and yet we don't have a system that enables the traceability to be seen and interwoven into the object. Um, I was appointed in November last year by the Premier as the Chief Entrepreneur for Queensland and that role is the first female to be appointed into the role, yeah. which is pretty exciting. But actually more important being the first female, the first entrepreneur that's running and growing and scaling the business at the same time. So that brings with it a certain level of dynamics, mm -hmm. but more importantly, a, a commitment, a commitment to see the change within my tenure. Yeah. Uh, and then I was this year in Davos, which was pretty outstanding. Not only was it minus 30 degrees with, Jeez. you know, three, four feet of snow, but yep. it's where the global leaders of the world come together to be able to talk about and solve and resolve certain challenges uh, that we have in the world. Yep. So I was the global leader for advanced manufacturing and circular economy, which 
I think if anyone's following me on my role as Queensland's chief entrepreneur, we certainly are in the most transformative time, both in technology and in economic modelling. So I'm pretty excited to be in the role, bringing all of my experience together and a number of these global platforms uh, so that we can can help Queensland move to Queensland, which was the next thing I'm pretty (laughs) excited about. Those Freudian spelling mistakes, Q-L-E-E-N-S-L-A-N-D, Queensland. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously, I've actually never heard of that term before, Zan. There you go. That's, that's, that's something really cool. That's honestly one heck of a journey. I have to ask, how did you go from accounting to that? <laughs> Skills currency. I guess that's why we're here and we're talking about it. I have, yep. I'm probably the lived example of what skills currency means and how it can transform career pathways and the value that you're able to create or extract from the world. Mm-hmm. When I think about leaving school, um, becoming a, studying accounting uh, and commerce, to be honest with you, it was the last personal choice I would have made, but mm-hmm. I dutifully went down the pathway um, as my father advised me. Yep. But I had I had a curiosity towards computing and, uh, of course, accounting software was really new to the market in the mid-90s. Yep. Uh, today, we everything is connected via some form of uh, computer enablement or a database solution. So if you take the skill sets of being an accountant and then transform that into accounting software, that set me on the pathway of understanding computer networks, yeah. uh, connectivity, database systems, and I became a self-taught engineer. Yeah. And if I really look full circle now, 25 years later, I've recognised that in accounting systems, uh, ERP, which is Enterprise Resource Planning, or mm-hmm. MRP, mm-hmm. Uh, Manufacturing and Materials Resource Planning, there is no such thing in these accounting systems uh, that enable provenance. So I guess I'm a lived example of what it would mean to study accounting and end up pretty much building accounting systems. Yeah, there you go. So you were a bit of a high achiever, I'm assuming, in high school? Well, I don't think so. I think if you ask my <laughs> friends, I'm probably the average because a lot of my friends are Olympians that have subsequently wow. won significant medals and have been to five five Olympics, some six Olympics. Wow. So I'm go. the brain athlete of our yep. friends network. Yep. I wouldn't say I'm a high achiever. I would just say that I'm committed, committed to making the change that I want to see in my world yep. um, and that I want to be able to feel and see and I resonate with the impact that I like to make. But I'm also curious about solving problems. So so I think that probably puts me in the pathway of being forever restless. Yeah, wow, there you go. I think that's brilliant. So I think that paves the pathway to our, to our topic for today. In your definition, what is skill, skills currency? So skills currency, I think, can be best defined as the skills that you hold um, and even the education pathway, certainly from my uh, lived experience. I left school in 1990, mm-hmm. which is quite some time ago. That's actually when I was born. Uh, well, that's that awkward moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, 1989 was Tim Berners-Lee. So mm-hmm. when you think about the world, I had a telephone that still had a cord on it, one mm-hmm. that you put the finger in and you had the dial that you turned. Yep, yep. Uh, laptops were not really invented 
back then we had desktop computing and you know dot matrix printers yep. god forbid the world uh, yep. that we still have that today but the skills currency is transformative in time and i can best describe it in the team that i built in everledger so in 2013 when i began flirting with cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. and i decoupled the ledger from the currency and i th- committed to building the business mm-hmm. was you had to find the very best blockchain engineers but if we think back in 2013 2014 blockchain wasn't a thing back then yeah. it was purely hidden within the white papers of Satoshi Nakamoto and Bitcoin mm-hmm. so there wasn't such a thing as a great blockchain engineer but mm-hmm. when i understood what blockchain was this new transformative technology a bit like saying robotics and drones and ai and if i decoupled the ledger from the currency and i looked at the technology i could see written plainly in the white paper that it was built up of crypto it was built up of cryptography mm-hmm. it was built up of database technologies mm-hmm. so i just went out into the world and found the very best cryptographers i could find yeah. uh, the very best database engineers and built a blockchain team and now you know some 4 years later we have incredible blockchain engineers yeah. so the the currency of being a software developer the currency of being a database engineer um has served the purpose of a currency a skills currency that can be transformed yeah. the same example of me a boring accountant studied commerce plastic pocket protectors with green auditing pens has enabled uh, my career pathway to turn into um pretty much probably one of the transformative platforms in in provenance in the world today yeah definitely well there you go and if if i may describe it in another way because the majority of the listeners are um educators in secondary and tertiary and I've got a lot of students listening in on it, on this as well is that another word for transferable skills or is that part of skills currency um i think they uh that that's a i've never been asked that question before so so skills transfer or transferability of skills mm-hmm. is um a subcomponent of skills currency. Mm-hmm. So I think skills currency plays out in a way where you have an understanding of building transformative value mm-hmm. within the baseline skill that you hold. If I'm in the market today as an accountant or a commerce expert, mm-hmm. the value of my skill would sit within a bucket of value um a certain wage bracket but i've transformed and had a skills currency that has enabled me now to um have a greater yield uh out of my currency because i've combined it with another learned set of skills in computer technologies and 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 language vision language yeah so um the currency of my skill uh has also a larger foreign exchange just like the Australian dollar and if we think about the skills that i have in accounting at the right time in the market with blockchain rising has an increasingly large value ratio if i have myself in an international market mm-hmm. so if i have a certain level of experience certain skills currency the uh call out in a dense market like london and new york 
um, I would probably be, you know, worth half a million dollars in an international market. Yeah. Um, so there's skills currency is both within transferability, but not only transferability, if you know how to play the market with your skills, you're able to then um, increase the return up upon your own knowledge, but also the return into your back pocket. So it's almost a way of uh, putting a dollar value on your skills po portfolio. Correct. Yeah, well, yeah. there you go. I think that's a very cool concept of, especially for students, I think, looking at enter entering the industry in that next five to 10 year bracket. And schools are always focusing on 21st century skill sets. And this is actually that next level up thinking about how you can contribute on a global scale and what that value is across countries or whether it's a national scale or international. I love that. It also helps when you think about corporates and the frozen middle, those that have sat within organisations for 20 years as middle management that have a huge amount of lived experience and understand mm. that their skills and their depth of their skills um, have huge transformative value uh, rather than it just being in the job, working the hours, with um, a certain level of maturity in their skills, that maturity can play out in an increasingly important way. And I'd start talking about this where we where we say, um, I remember being the accountant in the room and I had a spreadsheet and I did a pivot table. I thought pivot tables were just incredible. How do you take all this data in an Excel spreadsheet? But I didn't believe what was in the pivot table. So I took a calculator mm -hmm. and checked what was in my Excel spreadsheet. Right. I mean, you think that was crazy. But today, human are the checksum of technologies. So we will have those that have increasingly deep understanding um, of, of a certain type of job mm -hmm. that will checksum the artificial intelligence uh, algorithms or the autonomous car on the road because a human will say, that's not right, out of an instinctive way yeah. to understand that that algorithm is not performing in the way that maybe programmatically has been suggested that it was to, to be designed for. Yeah. So that transformation in skills is increasingly important, probably more for the, 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 the frozen middle, you know, the companies yeah. that are sitting there in middle management. I'm not going to lie, the pivot table thing went over my head because accounting is not my in my skills currency at all or my portfolio. I think if you had that conversation with my brother who's an economist, I think he would perfectly get that. But um, I get the overall concept and that's actually really cool because this is aligning a lot of things already in my head while you're talking because a lot of people ask me a similar question going, you studied architecture and then was in conventional practice, but then why are you teaching now? Why are you in education? And it's the same thing and it's, it's understanding and using those transferable skill sets and understanding what happens at that human level. And I feel like this is also very much aligned with design thinking, agile approach, lean approaches when you start to incorporate all of these elements together. This is a missing piece that's been in the mind map of my head, actually. So yeah, this is actually really cool. <laughs> talk about technologies and gamifying technology. What if you could turn all of these great constructs that build incredible companies and face it inward to yourself? And so create yourself as the very best version of uh, the very best version of you, but also the very best version of a uh, think about yourself as a business in its own right. How do you do your own daily stand-ups instead yep. of standing up with the team? How do you sort of scrum master yourself through the process and through yep. your uh, through your career pathway? This is actually exactly what I tell my students. Instead of trying to think of how do you actually get a job instead position yourself as actually a business at a brand and a company and then think about which company actually best aligns with your values who you are what you want what your passions are and then find the company or the business that you want to work for 
to align with that instead of just looking for a paycheck. This is, I love this, this is actually really cool. But um, I think you've already answered this um, without saying it. I'm assuming this is not industry specific. No, Sound, absolutely. It's, it's an obvious question. It's human-specific, though. Yes. So it is being the very best version of you as a human. And human, you know, humans are the center of technology and mm -hmm. technology advancement and even social advancement. So, no, this is a very human touch and inspired conversation. I love that. Thank you for the inspired plug, by the way. <laughs> um, how important would it be for a student's point of view? Because it's quite... It's becoming more evident in my head that, um, like, if you are in the, in the industry already, how to how to elevate from that, or if you're an entrepreneur leading your own businesses, other people are depending on you, and the business actually grows while you grow, and that's something that even I'm personally experiencing as well. But someone going through, let's say, the conventional method of school, uni, work for another company, work your way up the ladder. How important is it to start early? Is, is it at a secondary level or a tertiary level that students should think about their skills, currency, and expanding that portfolio? So I think the probably the most important. I wouldn't have put these words in my own mouth uh, <laughs> in the in the 90s, but I have recognised that I have a pledge to lifelong learnings, mm -hmm. and that I'm increasingly curious about well. <laughs> the learnings that I've experienced. So. Mm -hmm. You have a learning, and sometimes those learnings are hidden within, uh, you know, written context, or you're listening to them in a podcast. But to be able to then run through the experience of those lifelong learnings is increasingly important because that's that's the process that gives you that transformative power as a person um, mm -hmm. in your skills and in the inside of you as a, a a good person, you know, contributing to the planet, contributing to the people around you. Yeah. So I think that pledge to lifelong learnings is pr probably the the biggest call out and that's not to say that you hide away in universities with your head stuck in books for and you become a career academic mm -hmm. uh, and there's nothing wrong with being a career academic but for me I've been increasingly curious about living the experience of those learnings and yeah. vice versa and sometimes the learnings give you the experience and sometimes the experience gives you the learnings yeah and um, I'm assuming you're using the word experience to encompass mistakes of course. <laughs> mistakes are the very best. In fact, someone asked me, what is the biggest failure? What's your biggest failure? And I said it was when I did nothing. Wow, that's heavy. When I did nothing. Like, yeah. you have to be able to do something, not just sit in that moment. Is um, that in your schooling or tertiary or do you mean in the interim of before Everledger? Where was that? There's always going to be moments where you, um, you know, contemplate and... Uh, be of complete mindfulness around mm -hmm. the situation but there are also times in life where you've um, sat and contemplated just way too long and I think in part some large corporations uh, aren't necessarily willing to disrupt themselves or reinvent themselves so the world will just do that around them. Um, I think it really comes from David Attenborough you know if a shark stops swimming <laughs> The lungs fill up with water and the shark will drown. So wow. one doesn't want to do that. That paints a picture. <laughs> yeah, it does paint the picture, doesn't it? Definitely. And I, look, I think this is the probably one of the most difficult concepts to comprehend because of um, educators having to now work with the changing syllabus and changing industry and trying to align these 21st century skill sets. How do educators, this is becoming more specific towards teachers in a secondary and tertiary, how do they facilitate 
skills currency in the future leaders of tomorrow? I think there's a base set of skills that we all need Mm -hmm. Um, and definitely, you know, language, math, science. uh, These are... Uh, digital literacy, mm-hmm. uh, more than just the dexterity that we're, uh, that sometimes we're now literally born with an iPad in our hand, just yep. because, <laughs> which is shameful to a certain extent, but that doesn't infer that the youth have digital literacy. Yep. In fact, it just means that they have the dexterity to be able to touch, feel, and play. Mm-hmm. It really actually sunk true to me I have a cat and my cat there was on my iPad one of those uh, goldfish in a pond games and for whatever reason my young niece was playing with it Mm -hmm. and the cat was sitting next to her watching her play this game and as she put the iPad down the fish was still swimming on the iPad and the cat literally put its paw (laughs) on these fish right so not necessarily probably mimicking the human but would would one say that the cat has digital literacy I would say not right when it has a dexterity that isn't able to put its paw on the fish. Um, So for me, there's a disconnect in parts of our education system where um, maybe we're we're miscommunicating the desperate need for digital literacy Mm -hmm. at the core level. Mm -hmm. And the the issue is it's no longer about reading 50, 60 pages of education series to learn how to code Mm -hmm. because automated code generation systems are now coming into place. So we have this fast-paced life individual technologies are exponential in their own right and they're converging at the same time. So nearly what we have to do is run backwards in small chunks of educational series, micro-credentials being a prime example, but spend a lot of time in the bottom layer of base skill sets that Mm -hmm. enable us to have those currency and exchange. So that is maths, science. Um, I wouldn't say English alone, but I would say language, language is definitely. the most important. And if we couple language in a way that is not just only English, French, German, but the digital language of communication is also increasingly important. Yeah, definitely. And I think even even understanding the science behind how languages are stored in our brain, it, it actually lights up different parts of our cortex and allows us to basically expand by learning another language our brain capacity and and that um, flexibility and elasticity i I really love that you have included languages in that because not a lot of schools prominently say that and um, so along with those subjects because if you take australia we still have subjects in our schools and we have those base subjects labeled and delivered into the classroom. But along with that are things like empathy, resilience, and confidence to creatively problem solve. And I I, I know you mentioned problem solving before in your career. They're things that are not necessarily a subject content. How do educators facilitate those things, in your opinion? So I... I I hold increasingly deeper concerns about all of the things in education that we're not doing. And Mm -hmm. you've just highlighted a number of uh, curriculums uh, that should be considered deeply as Mm -hmm. a part of subject matter. And if it can't be directly communicated as a standalone curriculum activity, it should be considered as a step uh, out as a part of a part of that curriculum. I delivered a keynote on Friday with Women in Technology Awards, mm-hmm. and a part of my keynote looked at saying we have STEM programs and STEAM, S T A M. It's about time that we trans 
transcend, particularly for girls in schools, mm -hmm. into esteem mm -hmm. with E at the front. Yep. And there's a double meaning in that word, of course, mm -hmm. but uh, esteem being entrepreneurial, design thinking, emotional intelligence, this is increasingly important. Yep. So we don't necessarily have to change the STEM program or the STEAM program deeply or run a whole separate piece of curriculum work. So it's easy. Just pick a vowel, add it. I mean, it's like a game show host right now, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. That's that's exactly something that I've been saying. So this resonates with me really heavily. And and when we're looking at the leaders in education, in in from a global context, Australia is a little bit behind in that in that sense. And there are schools in most of the Scandinavian class um, schools system that have scrapped those subject labels. And with project-based learning, those skill sets are actually embedded in their classroom facilitation and their teachers are the ones leading that emotional intelligence and entrepreneurial uh, skill sets and and so on so I, it's it's something that needs to be solved in Australia and understanding that at a human level is a very difficult task because a lot of the educators have that industry 3.0 and 2.0 mindset and looking at industry 4.0 Educators struggle because they need they are seen as the students with uh, not the students sorry the people with the all-knowing answers and that needs to be given to their students. We have great technologies now. Whether you think about you know digital simulators that will create entire new environments with the digital twin of a physical object, uh, we also have AR and VR. Yep. Uh, virtual reality and augmented reality. I think the learnings now in the classroom, the closer we can get to the reasons why we're learning this and in situ with those technologies, mm -hmm. it certainly blurs between the digital and physical world, but it could also blur between time boundaries of learnings too. But if I was to consider myself in a learning environment and I wanted to feel and understand the importance of, for example, the work that I do, um, in the diamond trade, mm -hmm. if you were able to somehow put yourself in that space and time paradigm, then you would have a very real cognitive reaction to why blood diamonds should not exist in the world today. If you could yeah. transcend yourself into that moment in time, the learning becomes uh, completely interwoven with the physicality of, uh, of, of, the, of the teaching journey. Yeah, yeah. How this is kind of a offhanded question again from from our normal list of questions. But how do you, if you were a student in high school now, what would your approach be, regardless of the industry, within the existing schooling system? If um, if you're taught the you know basic STEAM skill sets, and I'm talking about the public and private sectors and the CAFED, because depending on the school, one of the one of the main reasons I got into this um, field was because depending on the school, at a tertiary level, the student will be sometimes uh, disadvantaged based on the school they were in, uh, rather than the actual person in itself. And they almost have to rebuild themselves back up during the tertiary system before they enter into the industry. So even if you are in the public or private or cathed system, if you are a student today, what would your approach be? But the same, the same concern exists in an adult journey in a working career, right? So if I put myself within a certain organisation, mm -hmm. 
uh, and access to internal resources are depleted, then you also have to walk out of that um, employment base and recreate yourself as well. So I think the um, what I would do... Currently, if I was a student, I would um, I would try and take sound bites and snippets on many, many, many different subject levels. Mm-hmm. But I would counteract that with um, I'd counteract it with swimming. I would literally follow the black line for a number of hours a day, so that you had that time and space dimension mm-hmm. with your head under the water to think and concentrate. Often, we find world is moving so fast there's so much to learn there's so much cognitive overload that's happening whether I you know get in an uber now and I'm listening to a podcast to cram in the next level of learnings you're literally over centering your brain so Mm -hmm. you have to have a counteractive measure to that and I think being able to have full mindfulness having a physicality to a sport that takes you with your head under the water to nearly absorb those learnings and allow it to become embedded within a physical sense is important but no longer can you just sit with one learning journey in one dimension and hope that that will Will see you out for a 30-year career path. Yeah. Life isn't like this anymore. Yeah. That's, I think, the most difficult thing that a lot of um, students are struggling with because of the amount of information out there. How do they know what they need to learn? It's it's an abundance of it. And um, that's actually one of the reasons when when I'm working with my tertiary students, trying to guide them to um, allow them to think on their own so they, they can rather than telling them go and go and listen to this podcast or go and you know listen to this talk or go and study this allowing them to make their own decision making processes and understand themselves understand their own physiology where like you just said counteracting with sports or whether it's meditation and even just taking that time out whether it's a five minute breather or you know two days understanding how to do those things is a decision that happens in your head and a lot of students struggle to know that because their self-awareness is still growing. And you know. There's a whole high learning that occurs in sleep patterning, which is yes. very difficult for those to understand, right? How can you learn while you sleep? Yeah. But it, there is such a thing, right? This trans- yeah. There's a number of transformative technologies that occur with understanding the, the, the technical waves that occur within the brain. Mm-hmm. So it might be a bit far abstracted from our podcast conversation today, <laughs> but certainly in Silicon Valley, you know, there's a lot of... Of work that's been going on in the space for high performance, yep. high brain absorption whilst you sleep. Mm. Well, this is the thing, and 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 uh, you may have heard about this already. There's that ne- next link in evolution has now come about because of the amount of information called sleep elites, and our I think our DNA is actually evolving in itself because of the information and and the, you know the diseases in the world and the, the environment in itself where people can be high functioning individuals they don't fall sick they only need four or five hours of sleep and they're incredible i'm definitely not that because i i need seven eight hours of sleep otherwise <laughs> i can't function but so i think it's interesting uh, you know have very close friends of mine that are athletes and and close friends of mine that have been working with me for some time and I do get four to five hours sleep a night some of that has been forced behaviors because of the types of time travel that I've had to do with uh, with time zones uh, but I also am able to literally fall asleep on command in the back of a car or what have you like a baby yep. rocking to sleep <laughs> but it was interesting on the weekend in fact I spent time with my very close friends it was my birthday last week oh, and they birthday. said to me I don't think you see it Leanne because you're so close to 
to it, but your brain muscle now is so athleticized mm-hmm. that you can make decisions, you have a cognitive level, you can connect this um, in such a speed that it, it, it surpasses our thinking. So yeah. we're still on page one. You've already flicked through. Yeah. You've read it faster. You've absorbed it. You've actioned in part of it. And it has. It's become a part of the learning muscle. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's, your brain is another muscle. So you are just exercising Sleep elites. Out. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Yeah. Or you just punch that into Google. You will find so much research on that. And there's a couple of people that I know, and they're young people, and there's a few people in their 40s, and they're incredible. Like, their CEOs or leading their businesses or, you know, higher up managing a lot of people, they don't get sick. I don't get sick either. I just thought it was because Maybe I you was are. A, well, my mum always said to me, um, uh, my two brothers used to always have measles and get sick, and she said, I think you've got the constitution of a sewer rat. You must be the one carrying the disease. <laughs> Honestly, I'm I not sure. I think I'm a sleep elite. <laughs> I think you might be, based on that description, because if, if for example, you can function at that level and still have that ability to think and process information and remember things and exercise the brain like you have. Maybe it's forced its evolution because you've exercised your brain so much, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, sleep elites, it's it's definitely something that we can compare and uh, I'm, I'm going to say everyday person uh, to a sleep elite's DNA pattern is actually different and the way they function is different, the frequency is different. It's incredible. But um, anyway, I think we went off on a little bit of a tangent. These are actually things that I really enjoy talking on a personal level, and I think this aligns with the skills currency in because you can't actually develop those things and your portfolio without having that overall understanding of basically the universe, your biology, your physiology, your mindset, how your body works, um, what happens in the industry, what's happening in a global level and an international level, regardless of the industry. And I think this is a really cool concept, and I think we've summarized it pretty well in half an hour. But um, I'd love to give the opportunity for the listeners if they want to contact you and learn more. Absolutely. Yeah, you can easily find me. You can find me through the Queensland Chief Entrepreneur's Office on oqce.qld.gov.au. My Twitter handle, Leanne underscore Kemp, and then LinkedIn. Stalk me. Pretty easy. Definitely. And and she's doing some incredible work. So have a look at that. And these links will be in in this podcast website page down the bottom as well. But one last question before we finish off for today is we discussed heavily what the students should do and how they should approach it. Teachers have a very, very big hand in education at the moment and understanding and facilitating these things. What are some key actions that they can do today, tomorrow in assisting their students with building a skills currency portfolio? I think one of the greatest um programs we could aspire towards, again, was a part of my keynote speech last week, Mm -hmm. is to be able to spend more deliberate time in intergenerational weaving to bring the older generation and the younger together. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a series of life events that occur when in your adult life and it gives you the ability to be able to balance what is important versus what is emerging and versus what is purely inspiring but the um, ability to be able to bring the older and younger generation together is also increasingly important for innovation if we think about farmers that are out on the land driven tractors for 500 hours it's 
really small events that are in repeatedly um, frustrating times and circumstances for farmers where they'll come up with the very best automated gate opener or some type of tank um, you know tank monitoring system mm-hmm. um, combining that with the very best of new sensor technologies I think is a really important way to bring the community together but also to enable not just the theory of how to innovate um, but to be able to place that in mm-hmm. the real world solving real problems with real people um, will mean that inspirational events around innovation not just hidden within great pitch decks you'll actually see them live up in the world yeah so I think the more that we can with teachers to get out, get the dirt on the boots, and who knows, we'll probably create a whole series of farmers to founders across Queensland if we're able to combine those together. We have men's sheds around <laughs> all of Queensland, yep. but how about if we transform those into smart sheds or tech sheds where we're able to bring those two different generations together with the university's blessing? Yeah. I think that's beautifully said. And one of the things that I'm really passionate about working in schools in rural areas is ex- doing exactly this because they shouldn't, the future of education shouldn't be limited by the technology or the actual constraints in the world now. They should be up to the limits of our imagination and, and do innovative work, problem solve, and go from there. I think I love that. Seriously, this conversation has been amazing. Thank you so much, Leanne. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening.